Father, I want to thank you for, for Christ. I want to thank you for the grace of Jesus that's strong in our weakness. God, this is a morning like so many mornings in my life. Just so, I feel so weak, Lord. And I, I just thank you, you're so kind to weak people. So I thank you for Jesus, Lord, and I pray that our hearts would be filled with joy today because of Christ. I pray that we would celebrate how wonderful you are to us. God, we know you're not just wonderful to us. You're wonderful to all those that gather in your name. You're wonderful to every man, woman, child who breathes your air and experiences your grace. Lord, I praise you for that. And Father, I ask that you would teach us what you want us to learn from your word today. And Lord, I pray that you would please work among your people, not just in this church family, but in this community. The church down the road is not our competition, Father. They're our brothers and sisters. And so we pray that they would be filled with joy in Jesus today. I pray for Pastor Ed and believers at First Baptist in the Atlantic, Lord, that you would give them a joyful spirit today, that they would encounter you and in their love for you and one another, they would be transformed and move into this community as a mighty army of people declaring the grace and love of Jesus to those they encounter. And Lord, I pray not only for the churches of this community, but Lord, specifically, I wanna pray for the communities that have been most recently affected by the hurricane that came through this last week. Father, I pray for men and women who've lost everything. Um, I pray that you would allow your body to be your hands and feet and be raised up to love them well. Lord, I pray that it would be a reminder that life does not consist in what we wear or even what we eat, but it is made up of your mercy and grace to us in Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to be a part of what it looks like to love those who are living through devastation in these days. Lord, we love you and we bless you and we ask all of these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Matthew chapter 20, Matthew 20. This morning, we're gonna continue our series that we began last week on the parables of Jesus, um, these short stories that Christ told to teach us truths about himself, truths about ourselves, truths about his work in our lives as part of the kingdom. And, and certainly this morning, you've already heard it a couple different times. We're gonna be observing the Lord's Supper. And so my prayer has been that we would see this story and it would prepare our hearts to celebrate around the Lord's Supper together. And, and so my heart is that you would be stirred in these next few moments to reflect over the work of Jesus and want to celebrate him, to just deeply and joyfully celebrate him for his work in your life and for his work in those around you. And I just want to warn you ahead of time, um, there are a lot of people who get really frustrated at the parable that we're getting ready to read. So if I finish reading and you find yourself deeply frustrated and not ready to celebrate, hang on. I trust that God will give us grace. Um, once you see the point of this parable, I trust that you, like I have, will celebrate Jesus um, when you do. Um, I just, I, I want you to know my point is not to try and frustrate you before you leave. But uh, I didn't write the Bible. I don't, don't write the news. I just report it. Let's go to Matthew 20, and I'm going to start reading verse 1 through verse 16. Jesus told this story. The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard, and going out about the third hour, he saw others start standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, 
and whatever's right, I'll give to you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us who've borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the word of God for us this morning. Can you see why that frustrates people? If you were the first workers hired in that story and you got to the end of the line and you got the same thing that a person who just worked an hour, you'd be a little bit frustrated too, right? There's this thing that reeks of unfairness in this story. But I wanna just start making our way through this parable and seeing what there is for us to learn and God willing, seeing the main point of why Jesus teaches the parable. And he sets the context for this teaching right there in verse one. Verse one starts by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. You can stop right there because we need to just remind ourselves that this isn't a story that's about business practices. This is not a story intended to teach us as business owners how to treat our employees. This is not about how you negotiate for better wages and less work. That's not what this parable is about. And so you gotta be careful taking it too far in your application of everyday life. This is a story that Jesus says is teaching us about how it works in God's kingdom. This is a story about how God deals with people, how he operates among us as his children. So don't take this the wrong way. And I wanna encourage you just to know that it's not wrong for you to expect to receive a fair wage for an honest day's work. It's not wrong for you to take a job believing that you'll be treated equitably. None of those things are wrong. That's not what this parable is about. This is about how God treats people. Not necessarily how your boss should treat you. You got it? You receive it? Okay, so then let's move into the, the question. What is the point of this parable? If it's not teaching us about business practices and it's teaching about God's practices, how he operates, what's the point? What's Jesus want us to understand about God's kingdom through this teaching? Well, let's just try to understand a little bit about what's going on in the story. And there are some things about first century life that these people hearing the parable would understand and we might not understand. So let me just give you a little backstory here. Back in Jesus' day, wealthy landowners uh, like the one in this story would have had servants that worked on their property full time. They would have had their own workforce or their own employees that worked every day for them. But there were times throughout the year when landowners like this would go out and they would want to hire more workers just for a day or two or maybe a week in order to bring the crops in at harvest time more quickly than they could do with just their regular employees. And so what would happen 
is the landowners would go into the city and, and they had worked out sort of a, a, a system to know who was wanting job, who was available to be hired. The people who were unemployed, people who had no work, people who were desperate to have some money to get some food so they could eat, those people would gather in the market, marketplace in their city, there in their village. And those men would stand around all day hoping that someone would come by. And if somebody came by looking for employees, they all would kind of clamor about and try to get hired for just that day. Now, here's what you need to know about those men. They didn't have a job. They didn't have work. They didn't have a way to provide for their family. Their cupboards were bare, and it meant this. If they showed up to the marketplace and they didn't get hired, they didn't get paid. And if they didn't get paid, they didn't get food. So they went home empty-handed, and they didn't eat, and neither did their spouse, and neither would their children. So these guys in the marketplace were desperate laborers who had no job, who had very little hope, who were dependent on someone coming by. And the wealthy landowners that came into those marketplaces knew that these men were desperate men. And so they would come to the marketplace and they would try to handpick the men who looked like they were the strongest and most desirable or skilled workers. And then the landowners would begin to negotiate a wage. And the landowner knew he had way more leverage on that man than that man had on him because there was way more workforce than there was work to be had way more men who needed a job than there were jobs available. And so what would happen is the landowners would come into these desperate men. They'd pick out the strongest among them, separate them and offer them a job and negotiate down to the lowest possible wage. Over the course of a day, uh, the best and most skilled men would be taken first and that would leave the weakest and the least desirable, the least skilled guys behind. So just imagine me in a marketplace all day. That's, that's what I was no skill, no ability. That was supposed to be a joke. You apparently didn't get it. Let's just move on. So just imagine this scene, all right? So let's think about the story in that context. A guy leaves his home first thing in the morning. He's hungry and so are his kids. He walks out of the slums where he lives, either in that city or just outside the village. Who knows how long his stomach's been gnawing from hunger. He makes his way to the marketplace and he's just hoping beyond hope that that day someone's gonna come along and hire him. He had no food, he had no way to get food. And if he didn't get hired, he was going home empty-handed and he'd have to look at the face of his wife and his kids. And he was hoping that if he did get hired that he wouldn't be taken advantage of too much. You know, he had almost no leverage to negotiate any kind of a wage whatsoever. But if he did get hired at all for any amount of money, it was more than he had when he started the day, so he'd be thrilled. And if he did get a decent wage, he'd be even more elated and he would be grateful for that wage and he would work a long, hard day with gratitude because it meant he'd go home and his wife would eat and so would his kids and he wouldn't be hungry that night. Well, in our story, that's what happens. The landowner hires the first group at the beginning of the day and those guys would have been thrilled. They would have worked, they would have pay, gotten paid and they would have been thrilled because their families would eat. So excited. But then the landowner does something unimaginable. He doesn't just hire them. He doesn't just pay them a wage. He pays them a denarius. Now just think about this. Can you imagine how thrilled you would have been if on the first day of your job, you would have gotten one whole denarius? Man, that's, you probably don't even know what a denarius is, right? So here's a denarius. A denarius was the same wage that Rome would pay their highly distinguished 
uh, soldiers in the Roman army. So, so the faces of the prosperous, strong Roman army received a denarius a day. That was way more than any day laborer possibly could have hoped to negotiate at the beginning of the day. He, as this unskilled, undesirable, hopeless, helpless man, was standing there in a marketplace, and not only did he get work, he got an entire day's wage that a Roman soldier would have gotten. Do you know what that man? received not just a denarius. Do you know what he really received? It's called grace. Undeserved favor. A helpless, hopeless, hungry, undesirable man getting the same wage as a decorated hero of the prestigious Roman army. That's called grace, guys. Something else you might want to know is that the normal work day was 12 hours from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And the first group got started right away. They're at 6 a.m. And the story goes on like this. At 9 a.m. or the third hour, the landowner goes back to the marketplace, gets another group of guys, brings them back, sets them to work. He goes back to the marketplace. Then three hours later at noon, he gets a new group of workers, brings them back to the field, sets them to work, does the same thing at 3 p.m. or the ninth hour. And then at the 11th hour, 5 p.m., just before the end of the day, he goes back to the marketplace and the guys nobody else wants, the guys that had been passed over all day, he'd seen them come and go and none of them had had any hope at all, the least skilled, least impressive, least able men of all the men in this community, all those men, the landowner comes to them and I don't even know what kept them there. I don't know why you would wait 11 hours thinking someone's gonna hire you for just one hour at the end of the day. Maybe they didn't go home because they were just ashamed to have to look at their wife and their kids and let them know they wouldn't be eating again today. But whatever the reason, there they were. The landowner comes and this was their day. A rich, kind landowner hires them in the 11th hour of the day. Now just think about this. This group of ragtag 11th hour workers have been hired. The end of the day comes one short hour later. The boss hires or brings everybody else he's hired up to the beginning of the line. And the, the last ones hired are the first ones to get paid. And those last guys, the 11th hour workers, they get a denarius for one hour of work. They are thrilled out of their mind more than they could have ever dreamed. They get this denarius on their own. And then it goes through the guys hired at 3 p.m. and at noon and at 9 a.m. Finally, you get those last people who come along, the ones that were the first hired. And as they had seen all of this play out, they think in their minds, if the guys who just worked one hour, the guys who could do hardly no work at all and did hardly no work at all, if they got a denarius, What's he gonna give us? Look how it turns out in verse 10. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, look at this, they grumbled at the master of the house. Stop right there. It's amazing how things change, isn't it? At the start of the day, these guys would have been thrilled and the master of the house would have been a hero in their eyes. Now he's an object of scorn. They're grumbling at the master of the house. They can't believe they're indignant that he would do this. Why? Because he showed the same grace 
to the lowest and the least as he showed to the first and the best, and it offended their sense of fairness. They couldn't believe what had happened. And now we're starting to get a little bit closer to the point of the parable. Remember, this isn't about business practices. This is about how God works. And what we see in this story about how God works is this, and I want you to hear this. God is gracious. And he's not just gracious. He's abundantly gracious. You know what God does? He takes weak, desperate, hurting, helpless, hungry people, and he shows them grace, guys. And nothing declares that better than the cross of Jesus. Guys, the cross reminds us that all of us have sinned against God. The cross reminds us that we have all broken his holy law and that we deserve to be punished by spending eternity separated from God's goodness and his kindness. We're weak and we are unable to save ourselves. We are unable to make ourselves right with God. We're unable to keep ourselves right with God. We're weak and we're helpless and we're hopeless. But do you know what God does? He shows us mercy and grace. In the death of Jesus Christ, his son, God has placed our sin on Jesus and he's punished our sin at the cross of Christ. Jesus paid the debt that you and I owed because of our sin. And when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his cross and his resurrection, the Bible says that we are allowed to be forgiven of all our sin. How much of our sin is forgiven in Christ? All of it. I love it. More than you could ever imagine, Jesus shows us grace and he forgives our sin. But even more than that, guys, we're not just forgiven. The Bible says we are adopted into God's family and we become his sons and daughters. Do you know what that's called? It's called grace. And even more than just being sons and daughters, we're made to be heirs with Christ. That means that we will inherit everything that belongs to God himself. How much belongs to God? Everything, all of it, right? That's going to be our inheritance because of Jesus. Even more than that, God has promised. He's guaranteed that once you're born into his family, you'll never be unborn into his family. That he will keep you and sustain you by his grace. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete that work in you to the day of Jesus Christ and one day transform you into the very image of Jesus himself. Do you know what that's called, guys? It's called grace. God is abundantly gracious to us in Jesus. And friend, I gotta tell you, it is my privilege to tell you the good news that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how long you've lived, no matter how many times you have turned your back in rebellion to God himself, if you will trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will receive the same grace that is offered to everyone through Christ. And it won't seem fair but it's good news. You'll receive the same abundant grace that Billy Graham and the Apostle Paul and every saint of the faith throughout the ages, you'll receive the same grace that God gives to us in Jesus. That's good news. That's the gospel, guys. But I've got to tell you, as good as that is and as much as we see that here, I actually don't believe that's the main point of the parable. 
I believe the point of the parable is actually revealed as you look a little bit closer in the response of the first workers. Remember last week when I said, if you're looking at a parable and it's comparing several things, make sure you look and see what's the same and what is different. We did that last week with the parable of the sower and the seed and the different soils. And it was in seeing what was different among them that you came to the point of the parable. Well, this morning we find five groups of people And they're all being compared. All of them have something in common. All of them receive the same grace that the master gives them. But there's one thing that's different. Four out of the five are glad to be shown grace and they don't complain. They receive it with joy. The thing that's different is that one group. It's that one group that was hired in the first hour. When they get grace, they grumble. Notice the last question the master of the house asked these workers. At the end of verse 15, he says this. Or do you begrudge, now listen, do you begrudge my generosity? Do you begrudge my generosity? The people had been shown grace. At the beginning of the day, they thought this was an amazing thing the master had done. They were overwhelmed at how kind he was. A denarius? Really? I don't even have to negotiate. You're just going to give me a denarius. They saw it as grace at the beginning of the day. But at the end of the day, they actually start to hold a grudge against the master because he's so generous. And friends, that's the point Jesus is bringing us to in this parable. The point of the parable, I believe, is this. Kingdom people should always celebrate grace. Kingdom people should always celebrate grace. We should be glad when God shows grace to us and we should be glad when God shows grace to those around us. We should celebrate grace. We should not come to a table like this that tells us about the grace of God for us in Jesus and say, whatever, or I've heard it all before. We, we shouldn't hold a grumbling in our heart toward God. We should celebrate grace. And I've got to tell you, there are so many different places that I want to go with this. As I was praying over this this week, um, as I was writing this out, I, I began to write and delete and write and delete. Um, you that are here every week know this was very painful for me. I even had a great point that had a very funny story in it. I wrote it out and I even had to delete it because I didn't feel like God wanted me to say that. There are only two things I think that God wants me to say in response to this. And the first one is this. We are all like 11th hour workers. We are all like 11th hour workers. They were the least desirable They were the least able. They were the least deserving candidates for the master's grace. They didn't know what they were gonna get at the beginning of the day. Do you guys see that little detail? The very first group gets told before they work, they'll get a denarius. Every other group after that, the master just says, go to work and I'll do what's right. They don't even know how much they're going to get. But even if they were working in the field and they overheard that group that got guaranteed a denarius, if they ever heard them talking, these men who were paid the 11th hour wage would have begun to do the math in their head and thought, you know what? For one hour work, I'll be glad to take one 12th of a denarius. That's more than fair for what I'm doing. But the end of the day came and you guys know what happened. They got more than they could ever imagine. 
And if you're trusting in Jesus, guys, I want you to know that is who you are. You're a person who is unable. You're you're unable to, to make yourself right. You're unable to fix yourself. You're unable to cleanse yourself. You're unable to do it all right. You're weak, you're helpless, and you're hopeless. You're not able to do it. But then Jesus comes along. And let me tell you what Jesus does. He shows you grace. And in showing you grace, you need to know it is better than you could ever imagine. Eye has not seen and ear has not heard and neither has it entered into the heart and mind of man to imagine what he has prepared for those who love him. Guys, there is a day that is coming when God will pour himself out on us in fullness without any restriction. Our bodies will be made new and everything will be changed. And listen, before that day comes, I'm not sure we know just how bad we are. Do you realize how frequently we desire everything everything but God and his grace. Do you realize how often we want something that's more than Jesus? How often we reject love himself and because our hearts are twisted, we don't even know how bad it is to reject love himself, to desire football and TV and smartphones and sex and food and sleep and money and every other thing in this world to desire it more than we desire Jesus himself. Guys, we aren't just bad. We're worse than we think we are, but we aren't just bad and worse than we think we are. We are, we are recipients of grace. And Jesus is better than we could ever imagine him to be. And one day the the accounts will be settled and he'll make us fully and completely like himself. Not only will he have forgiven our sin and not only will he secure us eternally, but there's a day coming when we will have our minds blown as we gather in heaven around the throne of God. And you who are least here on earth, you who feel far away from perfect, you who feel your brokenness and your sin and your shame, you who feel like you've been that person standing around till the 11th hour, not deserving to be chosen, not deserving to be there, You who feel like you are least in the kingdom will be first to be seated around his table forever. And you will enjoy the eternal glorious grace of God forever in Jesus. We are all 11th hour people. I wanna encourage you, don't come to the table of the Lord any other way. I'm an 11th hour person who's been shown grace. And here's the second thing. We are all capable of becoming first hour workers. We're all 11th hour people and we're all capable of becoming first hour workers. Here's what I mean by that. There's something in our hearts that can change over time where we no longer see grace as grace and we no longer enjoy it and we no longer celebrate it. Something happens that I don't even know how to describe, but we begin to think of our relationship with God, not in terms of his mercy and grace to us, but in terms of this business transaction. We keep a ledger in our heart, and if you don't think that that's true of you, I can tell you it's true of me, that there are things that happen in my life, and I think to myself, God, I, I think I deserve better than that. We might say things like, you know, I serve at House of Hope, I I serve at the pregnancy center. I teach Sunday school. I volunteer in children's ministry. I'm even part of that crew that changes diapers. Surely life could go better for me by now. And in our hearts, 
If we're not careful, we keep this ledger and we begin to think of God in terms of a business owner who owes us more and it's nothing but a business transaction. God, I thought by now my career would be on track. God, I deserve better. God, I thought by now my marriage would be on track. God, I deserve better. God, I thought by now my health or my children or my finances or whatever, they would be on track. God, I deserve better than this. And our heart becomes this ledger, not as recipients of grace, but as workers who expect a wage. And we stop appreciating God and his kindness and his goodness. And we stop celebrating grace and we start demanding more. Beware, guys. That's a first hour worker coming out in your heart. Not only do first hour workers though think they deserve more, they, they believe those around them deserve less. We begin to have this thing in our heart where we can't celebrate when other people experience grace. We've stopped extending forgiveness. We stop giving the benefit of the doubt. We stop thinking the best about people and start thinking the worst. It's what keeps us from having compassion on broken people down the street or across the workplace. It's what keeps us from extending a mercy to those who've wronged us. We become people who not only think we deserve more, we believe that others deserve less. And brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you, beware of being a first hour worker. Beware of being a person who receives grace and stops seeing it as grace. A person who who stops extending joy to those that God has extended grace to. And rather than end on a a couple of notes about what it shouldn't be like, I I wanna share with you a story of what this actually looks like. What's it look like to be a person Who knows, you're an 11th hour worker who shows grace to other 11th hour workers. I was praying with a group of people this last week and we meet each week at Wednesday at nine o'clock and we just pray for an hour that God would bless our time together as a church. And I was sharing what I was teaching over and one of my sisters in Christ, Vicki Colby, shared this story. I said, Vicki, could you email that to me? And I wanna read her email to me. This is what Vicki wrote as a person who's received grace and celebrates it not only in her life, but in those around her. She wrote this, my dad was in prison when I was growing up. My mom divorced him while he was there and there was no contact from when I was two or three. My mom and I were extremely close. She was a young mom. There was only 19 years difference in our age. And so when she was 38, she died in a car accident. Two weeks after her death, there was a knock at my door. And when I opened the door, there stood a man who introduced himself to me as my dad. I recall my thoughts perfectly. I love her honesty. Her thoughts were this, drop dead. It should have been you instead of her. I don't need you, I need her. But it was as if I could hear my godly mom saying, Vicky, be nice. So I managed to smile and I invited him in. I don't remember much about the conversation. We talked and he left. Fast forward now 12 to 15 years later, the Holy Spirit began to urge me to find him. I argued with God about this and, and I justified it by saying this was the beginning of privacy acts. And I knew that he'd worked for Greyhound, but I, I thought I, I, I could start there, but they won't give me any information. She said, I, I knew that I could begin there, but I informed God they wouldn't give me any detail about his life. She writes, I finally called and told the lady on the other end that what I needed and why. And as she put me on hold, I was continuing to inform God my request would be turned down. 
When she returned, she asked me if I had a piece of paper, which I did, and she proceeded to give me everything she had on him. This started a series of phone calls to him that spanned the next 20 plus years of life with me doing 99.9% of the calling. Every single call was strongly yet gently urged on by the Holy Spirit. I would argue from, the time, from time to time that he didn't care, so why should I call? But the Holy Spirit would patiently and gently remind me why. I was saved and he wasn't. Over the course of those 20 plus years, God gave me three very specific callings to share the gospel with him. Once over the phone, once in person, and once in a letter that his wife told me he kept and read over and over. His reply was always, I've been too bad, but I'm so glad you found your peace. Not long after I started calling him, the Lord called me to start calling him dad. I pray I'll never forget that day or that lesson. My immediate response was, but Lord, he doesn't deserve to be called my dad. Almost before I finished those words, God was responding, Vicki, nor have you ever done anything to deserve being called my child. Yes, sir. That was one of the hardest things in my life. I greatly struggled to get that word out, but God was my very present help. And I made it a point to call him dad at least once on every phone call. About eight or nine years ago, my dad had a major stroke and could only say a, a phrase that sounded like, Err. Every time he tried to speak, God was still calling me and strengthening me to call him. I would pray for him and share with him. I'd call him dad and I'd even tell him I loved him. One day I was urged to call again as soon as the phone was handed to him. His previous simple and quiet gargle there was laced with sheer terror. Was something beating or abusing him? Lord, I don't know what to do. He's in Texas, I'm here in Florida. And I heard the gentle voice of the Holy Spirit say, why don't you tell him about Jesus again? I said, Dad, are you ready to ask Jesus into your heart? And that sheer terror turned to sheer excitement. It's as if he was saying, that's it, yes, that's it. And I said, great, and proceeded to share the gospel of Jesus with him again and how all he had to do was to tell God he was sorry to mean it, to trust in Jesus. Dad, I know you can't talk, but God hears your heart. Tell him he's listening. At this point, my dad was softly and peacefully crying. No more terror, no more grumbling, just a time of repentance, salvation, and peace. I rejoiced with him in prayer and encouraged him. My last words to him were this, Dad, I know we didn't have a father-daughter relationship here on this earth, but I'll see you in heaven, and we'll start one then. I love you. When I hung up the phone, I sat there almost paralyzed, so engulfed in the peace that surpasses understanding. Two days later, my dad was dead. God is the God of the ninth, the tenth, and the eleventh hour. She closed with this version of John 3:16. For God so loved George Wayne Harris, her dad, that he gave his only begotten son that if George Wayne Harris would believe in him, and he did, that George Wayne Harris should not perish, and he didn't, but that George Wayne Harris would have everlasting life, and he does. Kingdom people should always celebrate grace. Grace to us and grace to one another. 